Good morning, Storehouse. I hope that you are doing well and that you have had a restful week. Uh, if you're just joining us online, uh, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church in McAllen. It's an honor to have you with us. Uh, I'd love to invite you to join me in 1 John chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. Uh, over the last couple of Sundays, I've told you how we are beginning to land the plane uh, in our series titled Walking in the Light, a study in 1 John. We'll be here for about three more Sundays and then transitioning into the Psalms. I'll tell you more about that later on. Uh, as you flip through your Bible, I have a couple of announcements for you. Uh, the first announcement is that if you follow us on Facebook or uh, if you have been to our website lately, uh, we have provided you with an update video uh, giving you what our reopening is going to look like for the month of May and as we press on into the month of June. Um, the video itself gives you a ton of details, and so I just wish to highlight two things for you. Uh, the first one is that for the month of May, we are going to continue to gather uh, online on Sunday mornings at 1030. So we'll still be here uh, for the month of May as we prep for our Sunday morning gathering starting Sunday, June 7th. But make sure you watch the video to receive more details on that. Uh, the second part of that video that I'd like to comment on is that for the month of May, we are beginning to phase our missional communities back in. In other words, groups are beginning to slowly, uh, cautiously, and creatively meet together again. Uh, for us, missional communities are the primary vehicle for discipleship and, and care and friendship. And so visit the website to learn more, to get plugged in, particularly as they start meeting up again. Uh, in light of groups, that brings me to announcement number two. Uh, beginning in June, we're going to be starting or, or launching our recovery groups. Recovery groups are small groups uh, that are seasonal and meet throughout the summer for a discipleship intensive, specifically for individuals who are battling with habitual sin. Sometimes the name recovery gives off that it pertains specifically to substance abuse, and, and that's not the only thing that we engage or, or talk about or work through in recovery groups. It is habitual sin. That is sin that you are uh, daily and repeatedly fighting and may, maybe find yourself losing those battles. Uh, next week, you're going to hear from our Missional Communities Director, Nathaniel Summers. He uh, oversees our smaller gatherings, and he's going to provide you with more details regarding recovery groups. In the meantime, I would encourage you to visit our website so that you would learn more about recovery groups, the content that we use as we walk through the summer, uh, and when registration opens up. Uh, the third and final announcement is that this morning is Mother's Day. So, moms, happy Mother Day. I said mother. Well, you know what I mean. Happy Mother's Day. And so what I'd like to do is really just talk about a couple of things because Mother's Day is a day filled with joy and celebration. However, it can also be a day that is filled with lament and challenge. And so before I say more, um, there's two things I want to tell you, two things I'd love to encourage you with, followed by some scripture. The first one is thank you. Um, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for being super. Thank you for being anchors of gospel encouragement. And thank you for being fearless. Thank you for being the kind of woman that Proverbs 31 says, laughs in the face of the future. 
In addition to that, if, if today is difficult for you, here's what I want you to know. God is not distant. God is not absent. And it is because of Jesus that he is near and he sympathizes with you. So, so be encouraged that you are not left to your own devices. You are not left alone, but actually found in Christ. And so with that being said, I'd love to just encourage you uh, from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. This is, this is what Peter says. But let the adorning be hidden, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. The source of your entire identity is found in Christ. So please know that we love you. We're so thankful for you. Um, and we come alongside you, particularly if today is, is a hard day. Man, we lament and mourn with you. And so in this time, I would just love to transition into prayer as we go into our time in 1 John. So join me as I pray. God, uh, I am so incredibly thankful, uh, not just for another day where you provide us with your grace and mercy, but I am so thankful um, for the mothers, not just in our city, but particularly in our church. Lord, they are some of... The uh, most encouraging, uh, fearless, and uh, uh, strong women that I know. And as I mentioned, Lord, days like today can be filled with joy and celebration, and sometimes they're just hard. And so, God, I pray that uh, through your Spirit, not only would you provide encouragement, not only would you provide um, uh, joy because of what you have done for them in Christ, but that you would also provide comfort, that you would also provide security for the same reason, because of what you have done for them in Christ. So Lord, as we look to our time in First John, uh, my prayer is that you would meet us where we are, uh, that you would speak to the condition of our heart, so that those who know Jesus would come to know him better. Those who don't know Jesus would come to know him this morning. God, I pray that you would set me aside and, uh, and that your spirit would be at work uh, through me um, and that you would be not just present, but at work in the hearts and minds uh, of our church. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time that we get to have in worship of you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to get myself situated here, but um, I'd like to start our time off with a question. I normally start our time off with a question, so here it is. What makes a Christian? If someone were to ask you this question, maybe someone has during our time of quarantine, what would your response be? Perhaps many of your answers would vary. They would vary along the lines of, well, maybe it's church attendance, being faithful and showing up to, to the Sunday morning gathering. Many would maybe answer by saying uh, group life, that you are involved in groups as you do community together and maybe even study the Bible together. Maybe you would say that what makes a Christian is giving generously, not just of our money, but our time and our talent. 
perhaps you would say uh, what makes a Christian is doing good or even being good, that there is this moral obligation that we carry. Some would say that being a Christian means reading your Bible faithfully and devoting yourself to a life of prayer. Some would even say that being a Christian simply means belief in Jesus. And however good and even biblical many of these answers are, they don't necessarily answer the question, what makes a Christian? As we have examined and studied 1 John, we have come across several tests that he has provided us with, several marks of the Christian, tests like love and obedience and righteousness. Lots of lines have been drawn in the sand by the Apostle John. And in this new chapter, the Apostle John aims to encourage us once again in the area of these tests by first drawing upon the source that makes them possible for the Christian. In fact, we could say it this way, that bearing fruit, in light of these tests, bearing fruit of the gospel is the product of something. Bearing fruit is the product of something that has happened to the Christian. And so that leads us to the opening question. What makes a Christian? In this section, the Apostle John says that it is the one who has been born of God. Love, obedience, and faith, these, these, uh, uh, this fruit of love, obedience, and faith are products of the new birth. So let us examine what God says through John in this text. What I'd like to do is park in the first, uh, I guess the first half of verse 1. This is what John says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. See, in his opening verse, the Apostle John provides us with great insight into the work of God for the Christian as a new creation. See, the New Testament uses a variety of words and phrases to speak of the new birth. We see words or phrases like born again, regeneration, a new creation, a new heart. And before we can understand Further, uh, before we can further understand the new birth, we must understand who we were apart from Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 says it this way, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Here's what Paul is saying. He is saying that before Jesus, we were in rebellion against God, at war with God, lost apart from God, and hostile to the things and people of God, that we could not please Him even if we tried. Elsewhere in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says it this way, that we were, quote, once dead in our trespasses. In other words, We were physically alive, but spiritually dead. We need to understand that that is who we were before 
Christ. In light of that, and in His grace and mercy and loving pursuit, God sent His Son into human history as the man Jesus Christ to die for sinners so that we might live or become spiritually alive. In this first verse, the word of, and I want to reread it one more time, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. The word of means out of. In other words, out of God. That is, in His grace, God in Christ has implanted His Spirit in the sinner with the gospel, causing them to become spiritually awakened. We would call this regeneration. A work of God done for us. A gift that we receive based upon the activity and initiative taken by God, not man. In Titus 3, this is how the Apostle Paul uh, elaborates or how he elaborates on regeneration. He says, He saved us, that is Jesus, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because we were doing righteous works, not because we were morally good, not because we were inherently good. He goes on to say, but according, this is the reason as to why Jesus saved us, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is incredibly important. This theological term called regeneration is incredibly important. It's important because it begs the question, where does your theology begin? Does it begin with God or does it begin with man? You see, the teaching of the Bible would argue that our theology ought to begin with God, just like the Bible itself does, beginning with Genesis 1. The danger of our theology, that is what we believe, the danger of our theology beginning with man uh, means that we run the risk of making all sorts of accommodations so that we would justify our actions, and even justify our beliefs. Our theology must begin with God. As we continue, upon making us spiritually alive, we have become what Scripture says a new creation, one with a new heart and new desires. This is where the scales have fallen off. This is where conviction occurs and our hands embrace Jesus and His Word. This is where we come to realize and see that God in Christ has actually transferred us from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. In Colossians 1, this is how the Apostle Paul writes, or this is what he says. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, upon God in Christ implanting His Spirit in us and giving us a new heart, things happen. 
In other words, God doesn't just leave us in this uh, status of being new and then checks out. In fact, one of the very first things that happens in light of our hearts being regenerated is that we are given the gift of belief. Once again, in the opening verse, John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Belief in and of itself is a gift from God. And belief means that we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, that we submit to His commands and His words and His promises, that we ultimately follow Jesus. And it is, as we say, we begin to bear fruit. And that's what the Apostle John is uh, ultimately going to walk us through. In other words, in light of what God has done for us in Christ, we as Christians must bear fruit. And so what does bearing fruit look like? Well, the apostle walks us through these three tests or marks of a Christian. We have talked about them uh, at length, but separately. Here in verses 1 through 5, John brings them all together to show us that we cannot have one without the other two. Otherwise, we run the risk of hypocrisy and inconsistency. And so let me read verse 2. Actually, let me read the second half of verse 1. So John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. One of the first marks uh, of the Christian as they have been regenerated or born again is that of love for other Christians. Now, I want to make a quick note here. Uh, last week, as we closed chapter 4, we talked about how John addresses specifically uh, love for other believers. Uh, one of the questions that came out of that was, aren't we supposed to love everyone? And the answer is yes, and I'll get to that once again in just a little bit. What I'd like to do is briefly recap uh, why I think it's important um, to note that John writes about loving one another, specifically uh, other Christians. Well, the first thing that I can think of is that we weren't saved to be left alone and apart from God. It wasn't just a good deed from God that He saved us and gave us a new heart, and then He split. In fact, the work of God not only regenerates the Christian, but the work of God uh, adopts the Christian into the family of God. That is we are brought into a family where we are brothers and sisters. You are not left alone, but adopted into the family of God on behalf of the work of God for you. That's one reason. The second reason, I would say, is that the source of our love is from the Father. Again, I'm answering the question, why must we love our brother and sister? Why must we love other Christians. Well, again, the first reason is because we have been adopted into the family of God. The second reason is because the source of our love comes from the Father. Uh, earlier in our time of this series, we talked about identity and sonship. 
that because we have been born again, because we have been made new through the work of Jesus, we have been reconciled to the Father. As a result, we are no longer orphans, but sons and daughters. And because we are sons and daughters, because we are adopted into the family of God, we have now become brothers and sisters. A third reason as to why it's important for Christians to love one another is because said plainly, it's harder to love other Christians than uh, other people. I think that's it's pretty simple. It's just harder to love other brothers and sisters than it is those who don't know Jesus. So to pause there for a minute, uh, I'll give you a little bit of a, an illustration. I'm one of four boys in my family. I used to share uh, a room with my brother David uh, throughout elementary, high school, or excuse me, junior high and part of, part of high school. And uh, it was really, really hard to love my brother David. Uh, it was really hard to love David when heads were going through walls, beds were broken, arguments kept on happening over and over again. And it was just overall difficult to be in the same room with David compared to how I interacted with my friends at school. It's harder to love your brothers and sisters. Nevertheless, we are called to love our brothers and sisters because our source of love comes from the Father. Additionally, uh, as brothers and sisters or as sons and daughters, uh, because of what God has done for us in Christ, we have been given a new nature. And because we have been given a new nature, we have these little attributes of God where we reflect the goodness and graciousness of God to one another and certainly to those who are watching. I was talking to my son, Seth, a couple of days ago, and uh, I asked him this question. Um, how do you know that uh, my brothers and I are brothers? If I never told you that we were brothers, how do you know? And he said, well, the way you, you, you talk to one another, uh, how you're super comfortable with one another, the kind of relationship you have. And then he goes on to say, but I also see bits and pieces of grandpa in the four of you. It's the same way for Christians that because we have been given a new nature, there are these little attributes that reflect God. And that brings us to our fourth reason. The fourth reason being how we love one another communicates something about God, not only to one another, but also to those who don't know Jesus. You see, those who don't know Jesus are drawing conclusions about God by how we love one another. And so I think that's why John emphasizes love toward other brothers and sisters in Christ. It is because we are family, and because we are family, sometimes we're going to get annoyed of one another. Sometimes we're going to argue. And how we engage one another in those arguments is just as important as when we encourage one another. He starts by telling us to love one another because it's going to be harder to love brothers and sisters in Christ. But I want you to also notice he says love one another, not tolerate one another. Not to stomach one another. He says to love one another. 
And if you're looking for a point of reference, last week as we looked at chapter 4, he gives us the how. He gives us the how by demonstrating what Jesus has done for us. That the Father sent the Son to die for sinners. That is, that His love took initiative. His love is self-sacrificial. It is self-giving. He lays it all on the table. And it is an active pursuit. Do we love like that? The second mark that John talks about is one of obedience. I want to start from verse 3. He says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. You see, the Christian, as a result of God's work for them, doesn't have to obey God. You get to obey God. You get to obey God And the question is, well, why? Why is that a good thing? It's a good thing because you have been freed from your slavery to sin. The Apostle Paul writes it this way in Galatians 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In God making you new, He has also freed you from your sin and forgiven you of your sin. Therefore, when it comes to obedience, it's not because I have to obey God, it's because I get to obey God. I have actually been made free to obey God. Therefore, the commandments of God are actually a delight. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 119. Uh, It goes on to say, I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and will meditate on your statutes. The commandments of God are not burdensome. I mean, think about it. Why would John write that in verse 3? And his commandments are not burdensome. Jesus says something similar elsewhere in the Gospels. So then why does it feel like His commandments are burdensome? Why does it get hard for the Christian? Here's my take. I believe that we make the commandments of God burdensome because they are in conflict with our sinful desire. That rather than engaging the commandments of God because of what God has done for us in Christ, that is, that He has forgiven us of our sin, He has freed us from our sin, and because His Spirit resides in us, we have the power to say no to sin. Sometimes for the Christian, because of our sinful desire, just because we're new doesn't mean we're perfect. Just because we're new does not mean we're perfect. Because of our sinful desire, that is sometimes in conflict with the commandments of God. When you read through the commandments of God, even if you look at, for example, the Ten Commandments, in and of themselves, they're not burdensome. But they very quickly teach us that we are in need of a Savior. That we are in need of a Savior because our will is in conflict with God's good commandments for His children. I think that is why Christians at times can feel like the commandments of God are burdensome. It is because our sinful desires are in conflict with what God has revealed to us through His Word and with what God has done for us in Christ. 
Number three, in terms of the mark of a Christian or the fruit of a Christian, is faith. Verse 4, John says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I want to talk about a couple of things. When John begins to speak of victory in overcoming the world, whose victory do you think he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus' victory for sinners. Namely, in his resurrection, uh, Jesus not only uh, conquered sin, Satan, and hell, but because of that, the Christian now has victory. This is where the power to say no to sin because the Spirit resides in us is made active. That you have victory in Christ. Particularly, that means that you can fight back and overcome times of challenge and temptation, hardship, and trial. Why? Because the Spirit of God resides in you. Well, how does the Spirit of God reside in you? Because He has made you new and given you a new heart. He has brought you from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Therefore, our faith is not wishful thinking. Our faith is not blind. Our faith is actually rooted and anchored in the truth of God in His Word. It is our agreement with that, and it is our surrender to that. I want you to notice that John brings all of this to full circle. When we look at the fruit of a Christian, for example, love, obedience, and even faith, the gift of faith, it is not a a, a checkbox. It's not like, okay, I got love, got it. Uh, I got obedience, got it. I have faith, got it. They are cyclical. They are continually happening. Remember, you cannot have one without the other two, and I think that is what his point is is. And I understand that even as we look at love and obedience and faith, that it could be difficult. It could be difficult to embrace or even understand that or even praise God, especially in the midst of our failures. But once again, God does not leave us alone in our sin. If he did, he wouldn't have um, implanted his spirit to reside in us. Instead, he encourages us to take heart. He says it this way in John 16. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Christian, I want you to listen to me. You can do this. You can do this. You can push and fight back. You can stand firm and find encouragement. You can keep going. I know sometimes our failures are incredibly discouraging and defeating. And God did not make a mistake. Keep going. You can do this because the Spirit of God resides in you. You can bear fruit because you have been made new. 
Therefore, take heart. Christian, once again, take heart in the truth of the gospel and the work of Christ for you. He didn't make a mistake, but he has lovingly chose you, pursued you, saved you, and has made you new. If there is sin in your life right now, repent of your sin and fix your eyes on Jesus. The conviction that you feel, the guilt that sometimes overcomes you, that is the Spirit of God in you doing His job. He brings up those emotions and those convictions so that you would turn to Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul uh, tells the Corinthian church that uh, he was glad that they were grieved, not because he just wants them to be in grief, but because their grief led them to repentance. In repentance, we find that grace is our only hope. In repentance, Jesus meets us where we are to remind us of who we are. And if you don't know Jesus... Love, obedience, and faith are simply not possible apart from a new heart. And that's exactly what He offers you. He offers you a new heart right now. One that is filled with new desires. One that makes you new. Therefore, repent and place your trust in Jesus. Church, you can do this. You can bear fruit for you are a new creation church i love you let's pray god we thank you for this time uh, of worship as we not only get to sing songs and praise your name but we get to worship you through the preached word god your your word says um, <clears throat> or you say through your word that, that your word is like a, like a double-edged uh, sword, that it pierces through bone and marrow, that it discerns the intentions of the heart. And so, God, we ask that you would pierce through our bone and marrow, that you would discern the intentions of our heart so that we would respond to you in faith through Christ. God, I'm so thankful for my church family and those who are present uh, with us online. God, we praise you. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.